Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. It's been 3,106 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 188 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that the battlefield initiative will go to the first belligerent who can make brigade or larger-sized combined arms offensives on any front was accurate. Second, Ukraine has started a significant counteroffensive involving at least four brigades, with some units advancing as far as seven kilometers. The main thrust has not started. Third, the risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure in an attempt to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Fourth, we believe there is a significant chance that Russian forces will abandon their offensives in Bakhmut and near Avdiivka and relocate those troops to Zaporizhia. The Russian Ministry of Defense made this decision in May during the campaign to capture Luhansk. Fifth, the unofficial removal of General Sergei Shoigu as the Minister of Defense, and Russian military commanders having to report directly to President Vladimir Putin will slow down the decision-making process for Russian forces. Sixth, the Russian Third Army Corps is not ready for combat as it is understaffed and undertrained. It is highly likely they will be rushed into Ukraine despite these deficiencies and will not provide a significant impact. Seventh, the Russian Ministry of Defense may use the counteroffensive, which they claim is already defeated, as an excuse to deny International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors access to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And finally, the counteroffensive started just days after Russian forces reached their culmination point in Ukraine, leaving little opportunity to create a significant attack on a different front in an attempt to slow the Kherson counteroffensive. We've shuffled our segments a bit with the launch of the counteroffensive, so for now, let's start our updates with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The Russian objective here is to hold existing territorial gains, protect ground lines of communication, also called G-locks or supply lines, defend Kherson, prevent envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River, and restrict insurgent activity. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River 
and push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, attacks on Mykolaiv and Kriviri. A quick editor's note here. The Ukrainian government has requested a communications blackout about the ongoing counteroffensive, which started at 056 Pacific Daylight Time on August 29th. As members of the Society of Professional Journalists, we always honor the four pillars of ethical journalism, including minimizing harm. We will only share readily available information in the public domain or from official sources. On August 29th, Southern Operational Command spokesperson Natalia Hamanyuk stated that Ukrainian forces, quote, began counteroffensive actions in many directions, end quote, and had broken through the first line of defense, but didn't specify an area. Let's rewind quickly to July 27th. Ukraine started to set conditions for a counteroffensive in the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River. During August, Russian G-locks were targeted, including the four critical bridges that crossed the Dnipro River. On August 28th, the roadway bridges in Kherson and Novokhovka and the railroad bridges at Prydnoprovsk and Novokhovka were completely disabled after weeks of HIMARS and artillery strikes. Additionally, the bridge that crosses the Inulets River in Darivka was disabled, cutting the western side of the Kherson Oblast in two. The Ukrainian Air Force, using AGM-88 HARM missiles and modified MiG-29s capable of firing NATO weapons, conducted suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense operations across Kherson and Zaporizhia. Attacks from HIMARS targeted Russian command and control, maintenance and repair facilities, supply hubs, and ammunition depots. Ukrainian insurgents, special operation forces, air force strikes, and HIMARS attacks struck bridges, railway stations, and ammunition depots deep in Russian-controlled territory. We had assessed in the previous week that we were seeing an impact from this activity. The number of missile strikes on Mykolaiv plummeted after Ukraine conducted suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense activity in southwestern Zaporizhia. Russian artillery fire was becoming more sporadic west of the Dnipro, and Russian troop movements were less frequent. Local residents in Kherson reported an increase in looting, and some Russian command and control centers withdrew to the east bank of the Dnipro. With fall weather a month away, the potential for a sham referendum to declare Kherson part of Russia, and the destruction of the road and rail G-locks across the Dnipro, Ukraine launched its counteroffensive. We had privately assessed that this would likely occur this week, after Sunday's report that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky met with all his military and intelligence leaders in a closed-door session. The British Ministry of Defense reported that the counteroffensive involved several newly created brigades, indicating 30 to 50,000 troops were involved. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported that Russian forces lost 500 troops theater-wide, the largest single-day troop loss claim ever made by Kyiv. A widely circulated video showed a Russian 1st Army Corps 109th Battalion soldier laying on the ground in panic, claiming that Russian airborne or VDV troops had abandoned their positions and his unit was being overrun. In the video, the sound of gunfire and artillery could be heard as he hugged the ground. The 109th is allegedly a unit of forced conscripts suffering from low morale. Russia has used Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, and DNR forces as frontline troops across Ukraine. 
Many units have complained and refused to fight when they've been deployed outside of their home regions. CNN, citing an unnamed Ukrainian military source, stated that four settlements had been liberated in the opening hours of the counteroffensive. The settlements were Pravdine and Tominabalka west of Kherson, and Novodimitrivka and Arkhangelsk along the Inulets River. Assessment here. We have doubts that Tominabalka was liberated and believe there was a potential translation error. It is possible the source meant or reported Zolotabalka in northern Kherson was liberated. Russian sources deny Pravdine was liberated, but acknowledge there is heavy fighting for control of the settlement. We had maintained that control of Arkhangelsk was contested through August 28th and updated our map ceding control to Russian forces based on artillery reports from the general staff. Honestly, though, we believe Russia's occupation was tenuous at best. Novodimitrivka has a natural low water crossing across the Inulets River, and Ukrainian forces released a video in late June showing a vehicle driving across the river. Its capture would restrict Russian G-locks that head north into Viskopilia. Russian forces launched an offensive from Viskopilia, attempting to advance on Potomkin. It's unclear if that activity started before, during, or after the broader counteroffensive began. Regardless, the advance was unsuccessful. Both Russian and Ukrainian sources acknowledge Sukhistavok by the Inulets River bridgehead was liberated by Ukraine, Ukrainian forces advanced seven kilometers in the opening hours of August 29th, expanding the strategically important position. Russian and Ukrainian officials advised residents of Kherson Oblast to prepare for a siege and move to shelters. On Sunday, the Ukrainian government told residents in occupied Kherson that they should move away from Russian military bases and equipment. They also advised having a weak supply of food and water, setting up a basement shelter if possible, and making sure their cell phone is fully charged. Russian state media announced that residents of Novokhovka were being moved from their places of work to bomb shelters. Ukraine has continued an absolutely furious barrage of HIMARS strikes along Russian G-locks across the Dnipro and Russian military assets. Bereslav Rayan, military administration head Volodymyr Litinov, reported the Bereslav machine-building plant was attacked. The Russians used the complex as a barracks, ammunition depot, and logistics center. The Novokhovka bridge by the hydroelectric dam was hit again, with unconfirmed reports that electricity and water service had been disabled in the Russian-occupied city. Another HIMARS attack destroyed an ammunition depot, inexplicably kept in the same area as previous attacks. The ammunition depot was hit as part of a larger barrage that hit multiple Russian targets in the city. In a separate attack, a Russian army command post near the mouth of the North Crimean Canal was destroyed, and at the time of recording, there were reports of an additional strike on the city. The general staff confirmed that a barge bridge built near Lvov was destroyed in an early morning attack on August 30th, leaving Russian troops with no way to cross the river. In Kherson, the Antonovsky Bridge was also hit in a HIMARS attack, which targeted the bridge deck, the incomplete barge bridge adjacent to the damaged structure, and the ferry boat ramp. The attack reportedly disabled the ferry system that crosses the Dnipro. Satellite images showed no traffic or heavy equipment on the bridge. At the time of recording, the bridge was hit again, 
with at least three impacts recorded. There are widely distributed videos showing the smoke and sound of a gun battle involving light arms and RPGs within Kherson near the police academy. A Russian command base and field hospital were destroyed in a separate attack. A Russian ammunition depot in Havrilivka, on the banks of the Dnipro River in northern Kherson Oblast, was also destroyed in an attack. On Tuesday morning, the office of the presidency stated, quote, Powerful explosions continued throughout the day and throughout the night in Kherson region. Heavy fighting is taking place in almost the entire territory of the Kherson region. The armed forces of Ukraine launched offensive actions in various directions. End quote. Ukrainian Melitopol Mayor Ivan Fedorov stated that Russian forces evacuated their military hospital in Melitopol on August 29th, indicating further fear of intensified Ukrainian activity deep in the occupied areas. A quick assessment here. Due to operational security, we do not have enough information to determine the scope and objectives of the Ukrainian armed forces. Ukrainian officials said in late June that the counteroffensive would begin by early September. Mykolaiv was shelled relentlessly by Russian forces, despite the ongoing offensive just to their south. Up to 30 S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attacks hit the city, causing widespread damage. A traffic camera caught a daytime attack by a Russian missile, which just missed the Inulets River bridgehead in Mykolaiv. The bridge was full of civilian traffic, including a city bus. There will be more information on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The Russian objective here is to interdict personnel and equipment assembling for a counteroffensive, break civilian will with continued terror attacks, and turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and prepare area civilian populations for a nuclear accident. Maxar shared a satellite image that showed Russian combat vehicles sheltering under catwalks and pipes adjacent to one of the reactor vessels. At least four infantry fighting vehicles are partially visible in the high-resolution photo. In spite of this, Russia continues to claim it does not have any military assets at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Another image showed four holes in the roof of one of the buildings in the complex. Vladimir Rogov, the Russian puppet leader for occupied Zaporizhia, claimed that the holes were caused by Ukrainian artillery. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or AIEA, inspection team arrived in Kyiv and is expected to travel to the power plant in the coming days. Fourteen experts are traveling with Rafael Grossi, IAEA Director General. The inspectors will evaluate the physical security of the plant, nuclear security, and adherence to guarantees of non-proliferation of nuclear materials. Nearby Nikopol was attacked by a barrage of grad rockets that damaged the bus station, stores, and the children's library. Oleksandr Staruk, Zaporizhia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian missiles struck the city of Zaporizhia but landed in a remote area. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. 
To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia, where the Russian objective is to set conditions for an offensive to capture northern Zaporizhia, defend the existing line of conflict, and end the insurrection that has expanded from Melitopol to most of the occupied territory. The Ukrainian objective here is to fix Russian assets in place to prevent redeployment, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies and disrupt logistics, and support and expand the insurrection in occupied territories. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, reported that Russian forces evacuated their wounded from the city's hospitals. The evacuation indicates that Russian military leaders are concerned about additional advances. This aligns with reports of Russian wounded being evacuated from hospitals in the Izum region two weeks ago. Our assessment here is pending. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to push Ukrainian forces out of firing range of Donetsk City, bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control, and stage a referendum on becoming part of the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. The 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, is combat ineffective, resulting in a continued decrease in combat, which started on July 22nd. DNR troops tried to advance on Pervomaiske and Nevelske from the Lozova direction and continued to be unsuccessful. Near Vesele, Russian forces were able to occupy Ukrainian positions at the southwest corner of the international airport. They suffered heavy losses in a drone-directed mortar attack. A small group of soldiers with the DNR attempted a reconnaissance mission in Optin, but were discovered and eliminated. We maintain that Pisky remains contested, with a small Ukrainian presence in the northern part of the village and strong defenses on the E-50 ring road to the south. Russian forces made two attacks on Ukrainian positions in Marinka, but did not move the line of conflict. Further south, the DNR also attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka and continued to be blocked by Ukrainian defenders. Near the Zaporizhia administrative border, Russian troops continued to press Pavlivka to gain access to the T-509 highway, but could not advance north. In Mariupol, insurgents lured a Russian patrol into a trap by claiming they knew a building where Azov battalion soldiers who escaped the May siege were hiding. Russian forces had mined the area, and partisans knew their locations. They set a path that funneled the soldiers into the trap, killing one and severely wounding another. In Bakhmut, the Russian objective is to maintain defensive lines, probe for weaknesses in Ukrainian defenses, and achieve a breakthrough before the start of mud season. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend GLOCs. After a day of an intense artillery barrage on Solidar, which included the use of white phosphorus, private military company or PMC Wagner Group, supported by the Luhansk People's Republic, LNR, 
and airstrikes by the Russian Air Force renewed their attempts to move into the urban areas of the city. They also attempted to advance on Bakhmut. Neither advance was successful, and Russian proxy forces could not breach Ukrainian defensive lines. Further south, LNR separatists attempted to advance on Vesela Dolina and stayed true to form by being unsuccessful. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, fighting for Kadema continued, as well as an attempt to advance on Zaitseve. Despite artillery and Air Force support, PMC Wagner failed to advance in either direction. Our assessment in Bakhmut is unchanged from August 25th. You'll find it in last Thursday's episode around minute four. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, the Russian objective is to maintain territorial control and ground lines of communication, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, prevent advances on Siversk, Slovyansk, and Kramatorsk, support insurgents, exploit weaknesses, and interdict supplies. A small group of LNR separatists attempted to advance on Ivanodarivka. The attack failed, with the unit suffering heavy losses. Siversk and its surrounding settlements were shelled, and multiple airstrikes hit Ryorivka. Russian forces also shelled Bilohorivka in Donetsk Oblast and the city of Slovyansk. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 18th. We recapped it on last Thursday's episode around minute two or three. And now to the Kharkiv region, starting with the Azum Axis. The Russian objective here is to push Ukrainian forces back to end shelling on Azum and protect ground lines of communication west and north of the city. The Ukrainian objective is to defend against advances on Slovyansk and capitalize on weaknesses in Russian defenses, continue to harass and interdict Russian G-locks, and execute special operation forces raids on Russian troops located behind the line of conflict. Northwest of Izum, Russian forces shelled and fired rockets from MLRS on Husarivka, Zaleman, and Shapil. Mixing it up a bit, an airstrike targeted Husarivka instead of Zaleman. Satellite imagery shows that the bridge between Bayrak and Balaklia was destroyed due to significant cloud cover in the region that was perfectly timed with satellite passes. We can only determine the bridge was blown up in early or mid-August. We've coded Bayrak as liberated and believe Russian troops have been pushed north across the Seversky Donetsk River. Russian forces attempted to advance on Dolina and fought positional battles near Bohorodichne, but neither attempt was successful. The general staff reported that Ukrainian positions in Sulahivka were shelled, indicating Ukraine is working on re-establishing total control over the village. Russian forces fired sporadic artillery and rockets from MLRS along the entire line of conflict from Velika Komoshivaka to Prishib, with airstrikes carried out on Prishib and Tetsyanivka. Our assessment on the Izum axis is unchanged from August 8th. We last recapped it on yesterday's episode around minute 12. In northern Kharkiv, the Russian objective is to prevent Ukraine from reaching the international border with Russia, protect the Bilgorod-Kupyansk G-lock, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances on Kharkiv 
and pressure the Russian-controlled Shevchenko resumed Gilok. The general staff acknowledged that Russian forces were in Yudi and reported fighting in the settlement, and Russian troops retreated after fighting Ukrainian forces. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles struck the center of Kharkiv, causing significant damage. There is more information in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Otherwise, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery, rockets fired from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and indirect tank fire along the entire line of conflict. Our assessment in northern Kharkiv is unchanged from August 12th, which we last recapped on Friday's episode around minute 7. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Washington Post reported that the first Iranian combat drones that Russia purchased had been deployed in Ukraine. Multiple intelligence agencies reported that Russian soldiers in the field, quote, are not satisfied due to a number of technical problems. The initial shipment included the Shahed-129 and Shahed-191 combat drones. Russia had not invested heavily in developing combat drones such as the United States Predator and Reaper drones and the Turkish Bayraktar TB2. Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov declared the special military operation in Ukraine is, quote, proceeding methodically and in accordance with plans, end quote, and that all goals will be achieved. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. At least five people were killed and seven wounded in a missile attack on Kharkiv. The S-300 anti-aircraft missiles slammed into the city's center, destroying historic buildings. Ihor Terekov, the mayor of Kharkiv, asked residents not to leave bomb shelters, as officials believe the city will now come under constant missile attacks. The Russian Ministry of Defense has consistently turned to terror attacks on civilians when faced with adversity on the battlefield. Missile attacks in Mykolaiv killed two and wounded 24. Like Kharkiv, the missile strikes are continuing and are expected to get worse. In geopolitical news, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine has expressed Ukraine's concern in connection with reports that S-300 missile systems were transported from Syria to Russia via the Bosporus Strait on board the Sparta II ship chartered by the Russian Ministry of Defense. Mykola Tatsky, Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, delivered a verbal note to the Turkish ambassador on behalf of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine. Tatsky drew the Turkish ambassador's attention to the fact that, quote, according to the provisions of the Convention regarding the regime of the Straits from the 20th of July 1936, the specified vessel falls under the definition of a warship for the purposes of this convention, end quote. Russia is withdrawing S-300 anti-aircraft systems from Syria for likely redistribution in Russian-occupied Crimea, due to ongoing drone strikes and missile attacks. 
And in economic news, the ruble was steady with an official exchange rate at 61 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil climbed in trading yesterday, with West Texas Intermediate at $96 a barrel and Brent at $103 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline was steady at $2.80 a gallon, or $0.74 cents a litre. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed to its highest price in weeks, reaching $0.84 cents a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.